Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Welcome to Are We There Yet? I'm Katie Gossett. And when babies are born, they're so vulnerable. They need us to do everything for them. But of course, as they grow up, they become more capable. And it might be time for them to do something for us. We're not their slaves, you know. We expect them to participate in the household. I was not put on this earth to look after six people constantly. I think that's one of the hardest things about being a parent, is you're asking your kids to do things over and over again. So as you might be suspecting, this is about the old C word. Not that C word, obviously, but we're talking in this episode about chores. I'm a big believer in chores. We're all a household, everybody contributes. Chores are just part of what makes a family tick. In fact, most of us would probably like our children to help out, and as it turns out, it's actually pretty good for them. So the most important thing for parents to hear is that children need chores and things to be responsible for. It's good for them both in that moment, and it also helps them grow into people that can eventually leave home one day. Catherine Gallagher, our clinical psychologist. I think it's really important because it helps out, but it's also about how do they actually do some frustrating, boring things, because that's kind of life, and that's a pretty good life skill. Now, back in the day, when parents were possibly stauncher than some of us are now, this was a no-brainer. Here's a lovely archival piece from one Vera Hyde, recorded back in 1973. She was reminiscing about her childhood as one of 12 children brought up in Napier. On Friday night, Dad used to make a list of our jobs for Saturday morning. We had no mops or anything. We had to clean under the beds, you know, with a duster. We did it properly because Dad inspected all our work. Vera goes on to say that she and her sister used to get up at 4.30 every Monday morning to wash all the nappies for their young siblings. I don't think too many of us would expect that of our children these days, but we do have some expectations. So one week they're on dishwasher. The next week, table, so they have to sit and clear the table for dinner. We don't have set chores, but I have expectations that they will help out. Things like making their beds and dishes. They're quite particular about, right, got to do the dishes, and it's probably more me that will go, look, we can just chill tonight, we'll do them tomorrow, as you may have seen in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm secretly just a little bit envious of some of these families, because although my children do do chores, I feel like I've got a bit of a scattergun approach to it. And then, of course, sometimes you get a meltdown and children just don't want to do the job. You know, there'll be tears and frustrations. I don't want to do it. It's too much. Especially if it's something that's an outside job. You know, you get the whole, I don't want to go outside because it's cold. So the boy-child 
doesn't seem to remember that there's a place that everything goes and things just get dropped. Well, the good news is this is apparently completely normal. Kids are not always going to agree with the fact that they need chores. In fact, it would be kind of weird if they did. Why would I stop doing what I enjoy doing and go and set the table? Of course, it might help me avoid a lecture about being a member of the family and all having to do our bit. But if I hold out for long enough, maybe mum will get annoyed and just do it herself. Or if mum stays and an argument ensues, then I get a whole lot of attention. And if mum calls me some names, then I might just have her trying to make up with me later on because she feels so guilty. Or I might get a follow-up lecture, which guess what, is a whole lot more attention. Oh, and by the way, I never actually did set the table. Wow, that's actually quite a terrifying insight into the complex mind of a child. All those things that might be going on. And of course, another thing that some children will be grappling with is pig. Now, we've talked about pig before, and aside from being obviously quite an excellent acronym, it's very relevant to chores. I'll let Catherine explain. Children are especially vulnerable to the old pig, and that pig stands for problem of immediate gratification. In fact, some adults are still pretty vulnerable to that as well, I'm just saying. (laughs) And so often need some help in doing something they don't really want to do. So in addition to the table being set, you are actually teaching your kid a whole lot more besides. You're going to be teaching self-reliance and how to take responsibility for yourself. You know, if you make a mess, you know you're going to pick it up. You're teaching teamwork, time management. You're reinforcing messages around respect. So we're all contributing to the running of the house. Then there's the whole money issue, to pay or not to pay. For kids, the idea that you learn to earn can be part of those life skills. So you're building a work ethic, especially if money's attached. They actually have some power within their means to do things and get paid. And the harder you work, the more you earn. But shouldn't kids also do some things for the good of the family? We put in a system where you have things that are expected that you contribute to the family. And then we have a system where they can earn more money by doing extra things. It depends on what the messages are. If the messages are, this is just what you do and it's what you need, then sometimes those natural consequences work quite well. So if it's getting up and you're kind of cold, then get your clothes on. Or if it's you want those things in your lunch, then you get to make your lunch. Or if you want me to do that, then you need to do this for me first. So that quid pro quo can be quite handy. Some kids might need a little bit of reward to get them going to start with. And then you can start petering it out and build other expectations on top of that. Now, sometimes it's not so much the money that's the incentive, but the fact that doing the job will make the child's own life easier. For example, put your clothes out, otherwise they won't be there when you need them. Now, the key with that is whether as parents we can tolerate that playing itself out, because if it involved a school uniform and come Monday it's not washed, how many of us are scrabbling around on Sunday night (laughs) trying to make sure it's washed? Or could we actually tolerate the kid going to school and getting in trouble? So having some awareness of what we're actually willing to follow through on. Because often we might say, well, I'll just do that. The child and us knowing for well that that won't happen. Well, I had this thing where my daughter never put her lunch in her bag. And eventually I just thought, I have to endure what you're just describing. So we left the house and we were, you know, a good way down the street. And then I said, oh, did you grab your lunch? And she was like, no. I said, well, well, you're going to be hungry, aren't you? And so, of course, we had to walk back. But... You know, it worked. She didn't forget it again in a hurry. Well, and that's a great success story. You're going to have kids who knew that actually mum's going to worry about this more than I do. So even though there might be a bit of inconvenience, we still went back and got it. 
So I think that's the bit about knowing yourself and knowing your child. If you've got a particularly strong-willed child or an absent-minded child, then some greater scaffolding around that or some actually following through more, more firmly on it can be necessary. I should have let her go hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it worked. And I mean, the proof's in the pudding. So literally, there's no other judgment beyond did it work or not. Ah, but there is judgment sometimes, or at least we feel like there's judgment, usually from other parents, and we're probably all susceptible to it. You know, I am sitting here, and please believe me, I don't do this stuff half the time as confidently as I'm saying it here on the radio. It's really hard when you see your child turning up without the stuff they're supposed to turn up to, because who gets the judgment? Yes, your child does, but actually we all know it's the parent's fault, because if they parented properly, the child would never have forgotten in the first place. You know, we've all been guilty of that, haven't we? So I think that there's an interplay there between the child's experience and ours, which is good for us to be aware of. I think it's tempting to think that, yeah, people will think, you know, our household's a mess and we're scrambling and everything's in disarray, which, frankly, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Good to hear. Good to hear. And, And the reality is that the world that people get presented is usually not, you know, most people's realities. Sometimes, precisely because we are actually scrambling, we overlook the fact that we haven't really explained how to do a particular job. So maybe our kids aren't ignoring us or the chore, they're just not sure how to go about it. Often we think if a child's being non-compliant, they're just being naughty. But sometimes it's about they don't actually know how to do it. And so saying no or avoiding it is actually a far easier way to get out of a job. And I think as parents, we can go, well, you've seen me do it enough times, so you obviously know how to do it. Or if you're not wanting to do it, then, you know, that's because, again, you're being naughty. But in fact, there's skills that we actually have to be taught and learn and make mistakes and get feedback on. It's about giving children confidence and skills and not throwing them in the deep end. And you might need to be inventive to achieve that. I'll either turn it into a game and make it fun or we'll have a race to do it. And we also need to keep those help channels open to them. Sometimes, you know, a child will wake up tired and grumpy, but the expectation is that they still do their chores. And we just sort of say, if you need help, it's really important to be able to put your hand up and say, Mum, Dad, can you just give me a hand with the dishwasher this morning? I'm running late. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Has to be compromised. After all, we're not seeking perfection, or we shouldn't be. As far as parental expectations go, I've let go of things being perfect. I would rather that they had a go. Because if our expectations of how we want it done are too rigid, then we can just end up sweeping in and doing it ourselves, which kind of defeats the purpose. So how do we go about matching the child to the right task so everyone ends up happy? Look at starting small at things they need to do for themselves and slowly add in family jobs as appropriate. Establishing routines can help them remember and rewards such as pocket money can add to the motivation. Remember, currently the big picture motivation sits with you as mum and dad and so reward effort as this can be really helpful to get kids getting started. And be prepared for the fact that you might stuff it up and have to rethink it. We're going to get this wrong. You know, kids might get it wrong in terms of the chore they're doing, but we might also overshoot or undershoot in terms of our expectations. So one of the biggest keys with parenting is to be reflective. Build in moments to reflect on, is this working? You know, are we actually expecting too much? When I ask around other people, in fact, you know, I'm actually asking far less. 
or when my kid went to camp they didn't even know how to wash themselves Mm, bit of an issue so it's that kind of paying attention trial and error type stuff and as frustrating as the whole thing is if we do persevere the rewards are kind of for us but actually more for our children as we see that they are becoming capable people if your child has to do chores i suppose that's our philosophy is they know how to do things, they know how to do dishes, they know how to clean the tables. But it's sort of just sticking with that perseverance, I now realise actually they're getting themselves organised, they're getting themselves ready. And if we do find it hard while they're learning all these lessons, here's a tip from Vera Hyde back in Napier. When she and her siblings were doing their chores, making a fuss wasn't an option. We weren't allowed to argue. If we did, it was very, very quietly, so no one could hear. We always had to sing when we were doing dishes. Dad said, if you're singing, you can't argue, so there was no arguing. So that very old audio can be hard to hear, but yes, you did hear correctly. She said they sang while they worked and they didn't argue. Well, you know, sailors used to sing while they worked and I guess even the Seven Dwarfs sang, so maybe it's worth a crack. And, you know, if this whole chores business is stressing you out, another good idea is ask other parents about how they're managing it. The best conversations I always have are talking to parents who get it wrong just as much as you do or get it worse, you know, that, that you kind of go, oh, thank God, I don't have to pretend that I've got my, are we allowed to say, together? You know, because actually I don't. The fact that I have it together as much as I do is the miracle, you know, and I think that's the bit where what we're modelling to kids is that we're getting this right most of the time, but we're also practising parenting because it's the first time that we're dealing with this situation with this child at this age, and so trial and error is required. And that's the show. Are We There Yet? is produced and presented by me, Katie Gossett, with assistance from Adam McCauley and engineering by Alex Harmer. Tim Watkin is our executive producer, and I source the archival audio from Na Taonga Sound and Vision. If you'd like to hear more, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to our podcast page at rnz.co.nz. While you're there, check out some of our other content. Lately, I've been enjoying Getting Better, a year in the life of a Māori medical student. And don't forget to join me next time when I'll look at how to build up confidence in children. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.